we all, I think we all would admit that we all have a problem. And here's what it is. We all know how we ought to live, but many times it doesn't seem like we can do it very well. And, and I think this isn't just a problem with us. It's a problem with, the, it's, it's, it's part of the human race. We know how we should live, but we can't live it. And Moses, in the passage that we're going to look at this weekend, gives us really the solution to that problem. He says this, this is found in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. We'll go there in a minute. You can just uh, follow it along with me. This is what Moses says to the nation of Israel and to us. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. You see, Moses is calling the people to a higher love. But where does that love originate? Moses calls it a circumcised heart. And with this new heart, our love goes deeper than our actions. You see, what I'm going to ask you to do this weekend is I'm going to ask you to look beyond your actions, look beyond your behavior, and examine your motives In other words, it's nice that you're doing the right thing, saying the right thing, but why are you doing that? What's behind that? Why do you love others? Why do you love God? Do you love Him for what you can get? Do you love God? Do you serve Him because uh, uh, you want something? Do Do you do it because you want to or because you have to? There's a huge difference between the two. That's really what we want to focus on this weekend. We want to look at uh, that motivation. And I think uh, uh, in Deuteronomy and in the Word of God, we truly have some answers that will help us. But we want to review a little bit because we're, we're part of, this is part of the Eat the Book. Uh, we're reading through the Bible this year. We're finishing up the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of, of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, which is where we're at tonight. So I want to just give you a quick overview of what takes place in Deuteronomy, the book Deuteronomy. Well, here we see the journey of Israel. They, they, they move from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which is just outside the Promised Land. So Moses led them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and then from Mount Sinai to Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. Now, the trip from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea is an 11-day trip. It took them 40 years. It took them 40 years because of their disobedience. We looked at that last weekend. And then there's another interesting thing that happens in Deuteronomy. There's the passing of the baton. Moses has been the leader, but now there's going to be a new leader, and his name is Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua, the book of Joshua, next week. But... uh, we see that Moses in Numbers 20 sinned against God and God said to him, Moses, you're, no, you're not going to be able to enter into the land because of what you did. And then we see the final, last farewell words of Moses. Moses is coming to the end of his life. He's led the nation. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. He's led the nation for 40 years. He's an old man. And he has come to a place where Uh, we see in Deuteronomy, it's really Moses coming to the people of Israel and gathering the nation together, and he really gives them three last words, three last messages. It's almost like 
Moses is sitting down with the people that he cares about and he's saying, this is what I want to tell you. These are my last words to you. And he gives three sermons. That's really what Deuteronomy is. He reaffirms the Ten Commandments of the Covenant. You find that in chapter 5. And as you read through Deuteronomy, you'll see the Ten Commandments are reiterated. And that's what Moses is doing. He's, he's reminding them. You come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you come to a very sacred passage of Scripture for all Jewish people. Uh, let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that uh, this is called the Shema. It's the... Hebrew passage, and every Jewish, good Jewish person knows this, probably has it memorized. And the word Shema is just a Hebrew word that is the word for hear. And so it's the first word. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Notice he says they need to be upon your hearts. We want to talk about that because that has a lot to do with this circumcision of the heart. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he says this. If, you have parent, if you're a parent out there, these are good words for you. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. So we see the Shema. We see the sovereignty of God. Moses is basically saying, God led you out of Israel. God provided for you. God cared for you. And the sovereignty of God is all over. And in the midst of this, he says this to me. He says, I chose you because I chose you. It's a great passage. He says in Deuteronomy 7, this is what he says. The Lord did not set his heart on you or, and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath that he had made to your ancestors. So basically Moses says, listen, <laughs> he didn't choose you because you were great or wonderful. God didn't look down and say, wow, what a nation. I want you. He just chose to love you. And he made promises and he keeps his promises. Moses called the people to keep their covenant. He says, and, and essentially that's what he's doing in all three of these messages. He's saying, keep the covenant that you made, keep the covenant, keep the law, you know, follow the law, follow the regulations, you know, do all that stuff. But here's the problem. The problem was, wasn't with the covenant. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was, wasn't with the Ten Commandments. It was with the people. And it's with us. See, we, we don't have it in our hearts to obey, to love, uh, to forgive. And that's why Moses basically calls us out. To, he says, do this. But then he says, but God is going to circumcise your heart. You see, we don't naturally have a, a natural bent to keep the law and keep covenant and forgive and to love. Moses told the people that God would circumcise their heart. It's a gift from God. It's something that God does to us. He still does it today, by the way. We need our hearts circumcised today. Well, what does it mean? And that's really what I want to focus on this weekend. What does it mean to have a circumcised heart? What does that look like? Let's talk, let's just break it apart and talk about the heart, and then we'll talk about circumcision, we'll put them together, and I think we'll come up with, uh, you'll, you'll better understand it. Now, when I say heart, you think um, emotions, I love you with all my heart, you know, 
my heart's not in it. You know, it's, we think in our modern English worldview that the heart is the seat of our emotions. And in the Bible, the heart is not the seat of the emotions. Uh, we, we might think that from our perspective, but the, the, in, in ancient times and in, in the New Testament, the heart was seen as the, the, the source not only of emotions and feeling, but also it was my mind, it was my thoughts, it was everything about me. You see, the Bible doesn't use the heart in the same way we do. In the Bible, the heart is the seat of the entire being. The heart includes both the thoughts and the actions. So in the Bible, our, our, our actions originate from our heart. Our thoughts come from our heart. We think from our heart in the Bible. The heart is where the most fundamental commitments reside. For instance, the things you most hope for the things you believe in, the things you, you most look to and most live for come out of your heart. The things that you would say, I can't live without that, that's from our heart. That's from our heart. Heart in the Bible points to those things that are the most important. In other words, you would answer this question, if I only had that, then I would be fulfilled, I would be successful, I would be happy, whatever it is. That's the heart talking. We live for the, for the things of our heart. We live for those things. Uh, whatever those things are, determine what every, what, what's everything to us. You know, all of your thinking, your imagination, your desires are decided and determined in your heart. Whatever we set our heart on, uh, whatever drives us. You, you know, we, we use the phrase, he set his mind to it. You know, you can do it if you set your mind to it. That's the heart. In the Bible, that's the heart. It's the same thing. We often set our, and, and here's the problem. We often, and the biggest problem we have is we often set our hearts too low. We shoot too low with our hearts. In our relationships, we shoot for, and we say, well, if I had that relationship, or if I had that money, or if I had that success, if I had that job, if I had that, and we shoot too low. We shoot too low. We shoot too low. And there's only one thing, and, and, and really this is what Moses is getting at. There's only one thing that you should give your undivided devotion to, give your heart to. And it isn't your job, and it isn't even your family. It isn't to gain wealth or power. It's God. It's God. And if you get that wrong, then generally you're going to get the most important thing wrong. We set our hearts too low. And Moses is showing us that uh, we must have our hearts circumcised to have this. So that's the heart, okay? That's the heart. Don't think of it as your emotions. Think of it as your, your whole internal driving being, your, the, the thing that drives you, the things that, that, that you, go, you go for, and it includes your thoughts, it includes all of that. Circumcision. Circumcision was a ritual sign of the covenant agreement with God. Circumcision was a pledge that they would keep the covenant and serve God. A circumcised heart, heart, he's not talking about a physical thing. He's talking about a spiritual concept here. Moses was pointing to the problem of the law, that people couldn't keep, they could keep the law out of a sense of duty. They could do it out of duty. They could obey God out of duty, but, uh, but, they could, uh, but, but that wasn't what God wanted. God wanted their hearts. He didn't want them to do it just out of duty. And, and, and is that true in your life? Have you found that sometimes you serve God and you do it because, well, 
That's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, You know, the difference is sometimes we do things and we have like a mechanical heart. We say, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I need to do. That's what I have to do. And it's a mechanical reaction. It's not an organic thing. God hates it when we serve him with a mechanical heart. And think about that for a minute. Think about the relationships you have. When people do things because they have to, that's, yeah, that's not quite so good. Notice what Isaiah says, because the people were bringing the sacrifices, they were doing the right thing, but God is basically saying, your heart's not in it. You're not doing this because you love me. You're not doing this because there's a, there's a desire or, or a, uh, just you're, you're, you're excited or you, you want to do it. You're doing it because you have to. And notice what he says in Isaiah 1. He says, what makes you think that I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams, of the fat of fattened cattle. I I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And then he says this, Come, now let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. And what he's talking about is when God gives us a new heart, a circumcised heart. Here's the problem. Many people are serving God because they have to. We should serve God because we want to. Because we love Him. So let me ask you a question. Why do you serve God? Why are you here tonight? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you do good things? Why do you give? Do you do it out of duty? Do you do it out of delight? You see, our hearts don't naturally fix on Him, and that's why God needs to turn our hearts. So He comes in and He fixes our heart. He turns our heart. He changes our heart. He redirects our heart from duty to desire. And that's really what Moses is talking about. Moses has the people at the, at the prefaces. They're just about ready to take the land. He's saying, you need to, you've got this new land. It's the promised land that God promised Abraham. But you need to go in with the right heart, the right attitude. You need to go in and realize that you can't mechanically follow God. Your heart needs to be in it. And God needs to change your heart. You need to go in with the right attitude. When we get a circumcised heart, we move from, I've got to do it, I ought to do it, I need to do it, to I want to do it. So what Moses is talking about is kind of what we talked about last weekend when Jesus met with Nicodemus and he said, you need to be born again. He basically, what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus is saying, you kind of have a mechanical thing going on here. You don't have a circumcised heart. You need to be born again. Ezekiel and Jeremiah speak of God giving us a new heart. The Spirit of God will write His law on our heart. That's a circumcised heart. In the New Testament, he says you must, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit. That's the same as a, as a circumcised heart. So the idea I want you to take away this weekend is this. Jesus gives us a new circumcised heart when we call out to Him. And some of you have been mechanically following Jesus and your relationship seems dry. You feel like you're, you're doing it out of duty. You know you need to do it. You've you, you got a lot of motivations. Well, how do you know if you have a new heart? How do you know if you have this circumcised heart? 
People often confuse being born again or having a circumcised heart with just gaining more knowledge. Well, I know more about Jesus, therefore I must be a Christian. And, and, and knowledge goes along with growing as a Christian and being a Christian, but it's not the same thing. In fact, this is a very common problem in Christianity. Just because I know something doesn't mean I believe it. Um, it doesn't mean I own it. You know, we can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. You know, I, I think I've told you this story before. If, uh, if you are a father or even a mother and you're driving in the car and your son or daughter is, is, is sitting there and you notice, look over your shoulder, that they don't have their seatbelt on. And you say, well, put your seatbelt on. And they don't do anything. And you go, where did the neighbor kid come from? Because my kid always obeys. No, you don't. You, you, you say, wait a minute here. Put your seatbelt on. And they don't do it. They heard you, but they don't want to. So finally, third time, you're basically going to twist it up a little bit, right? You say, listen, if you don't put your seatbelt on right now, I'm going to pull the car over and you're going to get punished. They got the the mean look on their face, right? Mm, you know, and they jam it on and they go through it. And you're driving down the road and their sweet words come out. I may, be, I may have the seatbelt on on the outside, but I don't on the inside. And you go, that's fine, I don't really care. <laughs> no, but what's going on there? They're doing the right thing, right? But their, their heart's not in it heart's not in it. How many times have we done that with God? God, I know I'm doing this. And, and you think about it. Well, how do you know if you have a new heart? Well, number one, your motivation changes. If you have a circumcised heart, your motivation changes. Uh, if you've been born again, one of the easiest ways is to look at your motivations. Why do you do what you do? Think about that for a minute. Why do you do things for God? Why do you do things for others? But let's talk just about God. Some people do things out of fear. They say, well, I have to do this or God is going to punish me. Or I better stop doing this or God's going to punish me. So in other words, my motivation isn't because I love God. It's because I don't want the consequences, right? Or some people say it's duty. I do this because that's what I'm supposed to do. I, w I, I, I know, I know that, that, that I'm supposed to do it, so I'm just going to do it. I'm a compliant person, so I do it. I don't do it because I want to. I do it because it's what I'm supposed to do. Or some people say, I want, I'm going to do this for reward or favor. If I do this, then God's got to do this. That's what I really don't like about the prosperity gospel because it really is all about this. It says you give, and if you give, God will do this. And it's like, there, where's my motivation? My motivation isn't out of desire or love. My motivation is I'm going to get something good here. Some people come to a point where their whole life is about giving so that they will receive. They say, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. You owe me heaven. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. See, motivation, it points to where our heart, the state of our heart. Or heritage. Sometimes we don't know why we do things. We just know, well, I was raised that way. That's the way I was raised. I've always done it that way. My family's always done it generation after generation after generation. We always go to church. We always do this. We always do this. But I'm not doing it out of delight. I'm doing it out of habit. 
A A circumcised heart, though, says this. I don't obey God because I have to. I I obey God because I want to please Him. I want to delight in Him. I love Him. Something I just enjoy. So that's the first thing. Your motivation changes. Secondly, your behavior changes. How would the people around you describe you? Would they say you're becoming more and more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, gentle, kind, generous, forgiving, accepting. Would they describe you as becoming more like that or not? You see, when God circumcises your heart, you have a new love implanted within you. That's what Moses is saying. This new life is organic. It grows. It develops. It changes you. You you can't be the same person anymore. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when he changes your heart, when he circumcises your heart, you're not the same person anymore. There's no mechanical response I mean, you can fall into that, but generally, there's, you, you have, there's a new organic life going on. That's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, who's going through a mechanical heart relationship to God, he's trying to describe a, an organic relationship. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's good that you're doing all those things, but you need a new heart. When you get a new heart, you'll be organic. It will grow. It will be different. The relationship will be fundamentally different. You see, that's the problem we have today because we only can see the outside. We can only see the actions of people here, the words of people. And it looks like they're growing. It looks like, but they they are merely going through the motions. That's the problem with a mechanical heart. You can't tell it. They do all the right things, but it's all mechanical. When you get a circumcised heart, you become more tender-hearted. You admit you're wrong. You grow in grace. You see, you either have a mechanical heart or you have an organic one. And an organic heart grows. It changes on its own. Let me give you an illustration. If, uh, if you were to, let's just say that you had a, a pile of bricks in your backyard. And let's say there were two or three hundred bricks. And you took those bricks and you stacked them up neatly because they were in a pile. If you go back to that, if you did a good job stacking them up and you left them there, you could go back five or ten years and it would be still there, the same pile of bricks stacked just as you left them, right? They're not going to grow. I mean, if your wife said, the bricks, they're growing. There's a hundred, there's a thousand now. There was only 250, right? You would, you would say, well, that's nonsense, right? That's mechanical, right? But let's just say that you took an acorn and you you buried it in your backyard. And uh, months later, you would see it coming up through the ground. And five years later, you have a tree. And 10 years later, it's bigger. And 20 years later, it's bigger. What's going on there? You, 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 you planted it. But the growth kept going. It morphed. It changed. It went through stages. There was something organic going on. And that's what I'm describing. The spirit, the Christian life, the circumcised heart, we, we, here's the problem. We, on the outside, you look at a mechanical heart, you look at a, 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 an organic heart, and they look like the same thing because you're doing the same actions. That's why I asked you to look at your motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? 
When Jesus gives you a mechan- when he gives you an organic heart, it takes your mechanical heart and he gives life to it. And when you get life, life grows. It, it changes. You can't be the same person. That's why I always say to you, you know, it's not really, it, 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 it's okay. I want to know where you're at now, but I want to know where you're going to be in a week, two weeks, in a month, in a year. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be the same old pile of bricks or are you going to be a growing tree? That's the difference. See, when you get your heart circumcised, you begin to live spiritually. It's, it, it, it doesn't just become a part of your life. It becomes life within you. <laughs> and that's why people, when they come to know Jesus, it's like, okay, so what am I, you know, it's, it's like, I know there's, this is so different. I'm looking at the world. It's like you, have, you, you haven't been able to see, and now you can see, and you realize my whole life has changed. My, whole va- my values are changing. I'm a different person at work. My, my whole ethical system has changed. How I view things are changed. And people say, what's wrong with you? Well, how do you get this heart? How do you get it? Well, to get this heart, you really have to see how it was acquired by Jesus. Jesus acquired this heart for you. How did he do that? You see, Moses said, when you follow the law and when you enter into the land, you will be blessed if you follow God's law. You will be cursed if you don't. And here's the problem. We can't keep the law. We can mechanically do our very best, but we'll run out of energy very quickly. We need an infusion by God. Now, in the midst of God making the covenant with Abraham, he made the covenant in Genesis 12, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you, and I'm going to give you land. He says that to Abraham. Now, he reaffirms the covenant in Genesis 15. And I talked about this, and you may not have been here, but many times when they ratified a covenant, when they sealed it, when they signed it, when they agreed to it, what they would do is they just didn't just sign it. They did things with blood and carcasses. It's hard to understand, but that's how they did it. And ultimately what they did was, we talked about the covenant that Moses made and how he sprinkled blood on the people. And basically the idea was if we break the covenant, may our blood be spilled. So what happens in, in Genesis 15? In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham to take an animal and split it in half and separate it. And, to walk, and, and basically what happens is God walks between the animal. He moves, his presence moves between the two sides of the carcass. And the idea there is, if, if I don't keep the covenant, may this happen to me. May the same fate that happened to this happen to me. That's essentially what was going on. But the interesting thing is, God was saying is, I will keep my covenant with you. In fact, I'll suffer the consequences if I don't. And so what God is saying to Abraham is this. It's very important because God doesn't ask Abraham to pass through because he knows the weakness of the human condition. God says, this is a covenant that I'll keep for you. I'm going to keep this covenant for you. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, you jump over to Genesis 17, and God reaffirms the covenant again with Abraham, and here's what he says. He says that I want all males to be circumcised circumcised. 
It's a physical act. The physical act of circumcision was a sign of the covenant. The foreskin of every male was cut off. I don't want to delve into that at all. But the cutting off was a picture of what would happen if the covenant was broken. Think about that for a moment. What happens when you break your word, when you lie, when you make a promise to somebody and you don't keep it, when you, when you shift the truth? When, what are you doing in that relationship? Cutting it off. You're breaking it apart. You're losing it. And Isaiah tells us, very interestingly, that Jesus was cut off for us. Notice what he says, and this is, uh, if you want to, Isaiah 53. And I believe this is talking about Jesus. Surely he he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All, will, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see what he's saying there? Isaiah saying, we can't keep covenant. All of us have gone astray. But the Lord... God has laid the iniquity of us all on Him. Jesus took our iniquity. Jesus paid the price. Jesus took our substituted for us on the cross. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. And for His generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. In other words, what the writer Isaiah is predicting and pointing to is the ultimate one that would come, the ultimate Lamb of God, the one who would be ultimately cosmically cut off, the one who would take the penalty for us, the one, and Jesus was. He was cut off for us. He had thorns in his brow, a spear in his side. He was cut off from the Father. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered the cosmic cutting off. He experienced the cursing of all the covenant breakers who call upon him. By that, Jesus acquired a new heart for us. I said, you know, uh, Moses said, you will, you will have a new circumcised heart. But how do we get that heart? We get it because Jesus acquired it for us. You get that heart when you begin to understand what Jesus did to get us that new heart. It moves us. It humbles us. It breaks us. When we begin to see what he did for us, we begin to live a new life with a new heart. We get that life by looking to him, by looking to the cross, by understanding what he did for us. And it breaks us. It humbles us. It brings life. You get this new heart. You get this new birth. You get this new life by asking for it. You call upon him. That's what the New Testament says. Whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. And when you're saved, you receive a new heart. You get a new heart. 
Now, here's the point. If you're here today and you say, boy, I don't know if I've ever done that. I don't know if I've ever called upon the Lord. I don't know if I've ever, if I've ever uh, done that. This, the, the, the question is motive again. Do you want this? See, just the fact that you may desire it and want this new heart, want this within you, is a sign that God has begun a work within you. So where are you at? Where are you at this weekend? Do you have a circumcised heart? Listen, if you walk out of here, please understand this. If you understand nothing else than what I've said, please understand this. If you are doing things in a mechanical way and you're trying to relate to God and you wonder why you don't, you're, you're just not connecting with him, that's why. Until he gives you a new heart, an organic heart, a, a, a circumcised heart, until you look to the cross and see that he was cut off for you, that he took your penalty for you, that he was the one who went through and took all of the, uh, uh, of the penalty of all the covenant breakers that will call upon him. He took your, your, your failures, your sin on the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. When you look to him, it breaks your heart. It breaks your soul. It infuses new life into your heart. It changes you. It humbles you. You begin to love people. People who aren't lovely. Why? Because I've been loved by him. You begin to forgive people. Maybe it's your marriage partner. I don't know. But you say, well, I, I could never forgive them. Well, you know what? If you understand the cross, if you understand what it is, God will work in your heart to say, you can't forgive. Wait a minute. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Can you forgive? Because I forgave you. Moses says, here's the problem. You can't keep the covenant. You'll never keep the covenant when you move into the... But God is going to give you a new heart. And it's going to be an organic thing. And it's going to grow within you. And you're going to follow him. You're going to love him. You're going to want to serve him just out of delight. There'll be no duty tied to it. And isn't that the right... I mean, if, if you have a great relationship with another human being, whether it's your child or your, your spouse or a friend, you just say, I just want to do this because I just enjoy it. This is not work. That's the way it ought to be with God. Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Father, may pleasure and duty be welded together in our hearts. May our hearts be circumcised by you. May we reflect on Jesus who was cut in half, who was cut off, May it break us. May it humble us, empower us, set us free. Father, it may be that there are some here that are just trying so hard to live up to a standard, trying to be good enough, trying to do enough, and they have been living the Christian life in a very mechanical way. May they give it up. May they look to Jesus. And would you implant them with a new heart so that when they do things, it's out of delight. Break us, Father. Break every one of us as we look to the cross and we see our Savior who willingly was broken, was cut off, was cut in two, suffered our penalty, took our pain 
suffered cosmic separation and abandonment so that we could be united, loved, and filled. So that we could be forgiven. Father, if there's someone here that's never called upon the Lord, may today be the day that they would say, Jesus, I'm lost. I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you change my heart? And Father, if they pray that prayer, I know you will, and I know that you're going to change them from the inside out. May that be true in our lives too, Father. May you continue the growing, maturing process in our hearts and in our lives. We pray in Christ's name.